Yo, yo, this is Treasy from the Kind of Movie Critics Podcast, man. And this episode is brought to you in support by Brooklyn Tea. Whether you're relaxing, enjoying a warm cup of tea in your living room while you watch that Spike Lee joint, or you're out and about sharing a pot of tea with your loved ones, man, Brooklyn Tea got you covered all social occasions. Try one of their 60 tea offerings, including my favorite, the Vanilla Rooibos, which is a sweet, subtle blend of vanilla, almonds, and rooibos. And if you don't know, Rooibos is a South African red super tea with superior antioxidant levels. But if you prefer the classics, like Matcha or Earl Grey, they got you covered too on those, okay? So for our worldwide listeners, you can shop with Brooklyn Tea at brooklyntea.com. Or if you happen to be in New York, man, make sure you go visit their storefront, 524 Nostrand Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. And to learn more about them, you can just follow them on social media at Brooklyn Tea. Let's start the show. Please be advised, the Kind of Movie Critics podcast may contain spoilers. This includes most of the movies you're going to want to see. This shit also contains profanity, so there's that. Enjoy. Yo, yo, it's Treasy. Hey, hey, this is Corey. It's Martin Amell, man. It's your man Chandler. <laughs> and I'm Young Leezy. Oh, man. And that was a disgraceful intro for the Kind of Movie Critics. Uh, <laughs> welcome back, Cotter. I mean, Corey. Uh... <laughs> He's been on the longest hiatus of known to mankind. I, I have the only um, to come back for the Five Bloods, Spike Lee. I know. What are the odds of that one? What are, what's, yeah. You've yeah. been saying you've been on the injured reserve list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I appreciate everyone's patience. I know there probably was a lot of fan mail that you guys had to deal with, so I'm really sorry nah, about that. Not much. Um, I mean, it might have hit the spam account. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm back after a little bit of hiatus, and uh, you know, here to talk about some movies. Yeah, man. Well, just to let y'all know, we're still uh, going by COVID rules. We're all in our respective homes uh, or respective places of employment in, uh, in Chandler's case. And, um, <laughs> and, and so Corey's audio is probably going to be trash because he's recording off an iPhone. Um, saying that loud for Tim Cook, a.k.a. the CEO of Apple. No, no, it's going to um, be glorious. He wants to make improvements. Huh? It's going to be Is glorious. It? It's going to be the best audio of the bunch. Bet. I bet it right won't. now That's it sounds cool. like you're on a payphone, but like not even like a like a working payphone, like a payphone that like definitely had but some that's, marker drawn on. But that. that's that's my that's my laptop, so not my not my phone. Hey. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Anyway, y'all know the routine, man. If you're on socials, uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Kinda Movie Critics, as well as Facebook at Kinda Movie Critics, and on Twitter at Kinda Movie Crits. Just wanted to get that out the way, just in case you are a fan of the socials. Um, I, I don't think we've said this in our past episodes, but I do want to say rest in peace, George Floyd. Uh, that's to be, uh, you know, we we need to say that rest in peace, George George Floyd. Rest in peace, Breonna Taylor, uh, Ahmaud Aubrey, and um, um. Uh, the gentleman from Richard, uh, uh, man, help me out here. Brooks. Richard Brooks. There you go from Atlanta. Um, they're just four amongst the many, um, that have been, you know, uh, gunned down in, uh, recent months since COVID. So, uh, just wanted to make sure that we acknowledge that cause we have it in our past episodes. Don't want to make it heavy. Um, what's up? The last what time I talked to you guys, man, none of this stuff had happened and it is so crazy. In, in, in just yeah. a few short weeks, the whole world can change so dramatically. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's weird times we're living in, man. Twenty twenty, weird times, yeah. my brother. Um, but but glad that you four are here and and we're able to celebrate this piece of cinema today. 
or in my case, celebrate. I don't know how. I don't know how Corey feels. So what y'all been watching? What y'all been watching? Oh man, we gotta stop that. (laughs) We gotta stop that. (laughs) Off the rip. You can't be real no more on KMC. That's crazy. We can't be watching anything cool. I've been watching a lot of stuff since it's been has it been six months, maybe, since I've been gone. Yeah, yeah. What's what's been on your queue recently, man? What you been seeing? Uh well, zero zero zero. We've all we've on the zero 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 train. So finishing up that hopefully tonight that came out of nowhere. Really great, great show. I think uh, a lot of people should watch it, but I've been on, I've watched tons of stuff, man. I think my list is it's through the roof. Like, I mean, Ozark came and went Westworld came and went. I did, I, I did the handmaid's tale, did all that. So I, I did a lot of COVID COVID binging. Yeah. You were running suicides on them shows, man. You were just <laughs> boom, 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 one after the other, bro. I couldn't keep up. But yeah. zero, zero, zero. Thank you for putting me on to that gym, man. I, I sat down Father's Day weekend and and knocked that clean on out, man. And I gotta say that that show was right up my alley. Yeah, it, it's it's Narcos plus o- Ozark with the tone of Sicario. Right. So. I, I I would throw in Soderbergh's Traffic too. Yeah, it, yeah, it, definitely. It, it definitely. kind of has that. That Soderbergh traffic feel to it. Anything else, anybody? Been watching that's worth talking about? I've been watching well, Dave. Dave. Wow. You watched Dave? I did Dave yeah. as well. Dave Dave's Dave was dope. Yo, there's uh the one episode that uh kind of centers on Gata. That's not a spoiler. It doesn't mean anything to you we if already, you haven't seen it. We did a whole episode. Yeah. Um, I'm like I'm like seven episodes into the ten episode season, but uh I did not expect to cry. Like Aww. a full cry. Um, it's a good show that is profound, and yet it's also about um, an adult man's insecurities over his deformed penis. So it really, it <laughs> kind of touches on anything you could want in a TV show. It's kind of, it's all that. So it's Dave's a really great. good cast, too. The yeah. cast is incredible. Yeah. Can I tell my trippy red story here? I put it in the um, in the group chat. Yeah, go for yeah. it. Yeah, right. uh-huh. <laughs> so like back in the day, um, I used to be a professional drummer. Uh, still am from time to time, but it was He's like a dope you know, drummer. Don't let him fool you. Thank you very much. It was ma- it was my main career at a point is what I'm trying to say. Um, I was at some festival in uh, I believe it was Anaheim, California. Um, I was trying to get a beer from the artist tent, and like a big fight broke out, and everybody was like taking out their phones, and a, a mob formed, and uh, I saw the faces clearly of the people involved, one of whom was Trippy Red. And I was like, oh, who's this guy? I guess he's the guy that got in a fight at the music festival. Um, and then, like, you know, a year and a half after that, he became, like, a, like a huge deal. Like, he was kind of just still a SoundCloud guy at the time. Mm. And uh, now he's in that show, Dave. And he's actually, like, a pretty good actor. And I think he's really funny on it. So that's my uh, story. Correction, he's not a good actor. But his character <laughs> fit. I think that he does, the dead, he does the deadpan thing pretty well. I've not seen him act in anything else. But in the one performance, I was a fan. Man, I'm gonna tell you, I texted Treasy the the sex episode, like episode four or five with the with the with the doll. With the doll. I, I haven't laughed. <laughs> I ha- yo, I haven't laughed out loud that hard in a very long time. That was a the very, doll is very that was good. a when the feet were just like. <laughs> it's like yo, very very funny, very good writing. 
I, I stopped at episode seven so that I could have my girlfriend watch it oh. with me because I we were really liked Atlanta and I feel like the vibe's very similar as you guys yeah. said. Um, so we've started watching it, so it's a good like couples thing for us. How, how does she like it? She likes it a lot. Um, and it's funny because in a lot of ways, I think Dave and uh, his girlfriend Allie are like very reminiscent of me and uh, and my lady and nice. the, the discussions and arguments we have. So it's a good it's a good couples thing. Kick back with some takeout. Uh, Martin, how about you? What's up? What you what you been on? Um, it, there's this movie I was waiting for, I guess, all summer. I kind of wanted to see it in theaters, but um, I just ended up paying twenty dollars to watch it. Oh, yeah, the way back with Ben Affleck. That's crazy. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was the King of Staten Island with um Pete Davidson, Bill Burr, Marissa Tomei, um, Maude Apatow. It was Judd Apatow's daughter or whatever. Um, right, right. He directed it, right? Yeah, Judd? he directed it. Yeah. yeah, so this this is kind of him going back to form of like picking a comedian and kind of making a movie kind of about their life, but not really like he did with Trainwreck or Knocked Up or Super Bad, all these other movies. Right. And it's probably like my least, if not one of my least favorite Apatow movies. Like, I don't Damn. Kind of mad <laughs> I didn't I expect that. For it. <laughs> what, um, how did, how did Pete Davidson do in it? I, I don't know. It's like, I'm not a huge Pete Davidson fan. So, I really don't like spending a lot of time with him on the screen. So maybe it's probably a bad movie for me to watch. <laughs> yeah, because he's the right. star. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you like Pete Davidson, I guess it's okay. But it's like you already know, like anybody who knows anything about Pete Davidson, you know about his dad, you know he has Crohn's disease, you know he has like crazy depression and suicidal thoughts and all this other type of stuff. You've known this, like if you follow SNL, if you follow Pete Davidson, you've known this for years. So spending like two hours of him telling you something you already know is it's kind of unnecessary. But I mean, right. there, there's still good parts in the movie. I thought Bill Burr was like really good. Obviously, Marissa Tomei was really good, and a lot of the stuff where it's not just about him and his friends is pretty decent. But right. I I just don't think Pete's like, and they also kind of made it more way more of a dramatic movie than it is funny. Like I think that's why those. Those Apatow movies really work for me is because they were really funny, but they had like enough heart to them that you could get a message from them. Right. Where this is like mostly drama and very like a little bit of comedy sprinkled inside, and I don't, I don't need that from Apatow. I, at least I wasn't expecting that from him. Interesting, Martin. I've got two questions for you. Uh, question number one: Pete Davidson or Mayor Pete Buttigieg? <laughs> Honestly, is, is Mayor Pete. Mayor <laughs> Pete. Okay. Qu- yeah. Question number two is Judd Apatow or Judd Nelson? Oh, Judd Apatow, 100%. I love okay. Judd's movies. I agree. I think you're part. right, probably. Judd Nelson. Where's he been? I haven't seen him since New Jack City, bro. I haven't seen him. still oh, in sorry. detention. Y'all, that was before you were born. He's still on the baseball field, like, or the football field with the, the fist. I'm doing the fist. It's on Skype, so it's kind of out of frame, but... Right. Oh, that's the fish. Don't you forget about fish. me. You know the credits from it's a movie. Don't worry about the it. The Breakfast gotcha. Club. We get it. Yeah, Breakfast Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm not talking about that radio show. I'm talking about the movie. Hey. It's got Molly Ringwald in it. Hey. Yeah, and Ali Sheedy. We were there. I don't remember you? what it's called. You got the Pete Davidson jokes rolling out right about. Oh, now. I'm good. This is it. I'm gonna sit back once we get going here. I'm just real heavy up front. I'm a front loader. <laughs> You're a front loader. <laughs> Not to be confused well, I, with Freeloader, right? I uh, also if I, had to, if I had to say something about the movie, I guess it's more like um, 
I would call this movie like the Staten Island of Judd Apatow movies. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. That's what terrible. are the other four boroughs? <laughs> okay. Obviously, 40-year-old virgin is probably like Manhattan. Knocked up is probably Brooklyn. <laughs> Which one's Brooklyn? Harlem. Which one's Brooklyn? <laughs> knocked up, maybe. No, Knocked super bad Brooklyn. might be okay. might be Brooklyn knocked up. That was that was Judd Apatow. Yeah, he produced Judd Apatow, isn't it? He's it a producer on all those movies. So he didn't yeah, direct all. He of them, didn't but... direct them. He, he but there's still it's his creative voice. I feel yeah. like it's fair. Gotcha. Yeah, it's his style. Yeah. Well, all right. So we got we got Manhattan. We got Brooklyn. What else you said? Uh, funny people is Jersey. I guess that's not a borough. <laughs> that's not a borough, fool. <laughs> but it's better than Staten Island. <laughs> oh my god! You skipped Yo, over the stop now. You about to get us canceled? You skipped my, over uh, Queens my, too. My with Cuomo, right to Jersey. Bro. Yeah, yeah. You wild know, something with else it. is Queens. Funny what's uh, man is Queens. What's ha- <laughs> what's Harlem? That's not that's a borough, <laughs> boy, boy. It's not a borough. It's a it's neighborhood a in borough. Manhattan. <laughs> it's the sixth borough. <laughs> I think Long Island will probably be the sixth borough before. They call Harlem the sixth borough, right? Right. Anyway. What's the seventh borough? Oh, my stars. <laughs> Lizzie, what you been watching, man? Let, so, let the woman speak. So with all the Black Lives Matter stuff going on, which is super important, um, we kind of have lost sight of that June is Pride Month. And um, in June addition is what month? To Pride. Oh, Pride. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I don't say the letters, I say the queer community. So <laughs> Right, right. Um, a celebration of the queer community. So um Netflix has all this Black Lives Matter content that they just created a whole new category for. Strong black leads is still there, but like, you know, the especially struggly content right, <laughs> right, right. place now. Um and there's a um a mashup of the two, um, more so focused on the trans aspect of it, but trans black lives. So Disclosure is a documentary that I watched on Netflix a couple nights ago, and mm-hmm. it was really eye-opening for me. Um, it features um, lots of prominent trans voices in the entertainment um, and just artistic spaces. And uh, it never dawned on me um, how much of our media conditions us to feel certain ways about that community. And it was really eye-opening for me. So um, it's like bamboozled, but it's trans people and it's not a movie. (laughs) Interesting. You said it's called Disclosure? It's called Disclosure. Yeah, it's on Netflix. And I I mean, there there are some happy moments in it too, but there's so much, um, you know, they talk about pieces of film and iconography that feature trans people that mean something to them. And then they just kind of talk about how different portrayals of trans people um, throughout entertainment history has impacted them. And I, it, like I said, it was really eye-opening to see like things that I never thought about growing up. I just, you know, was laughing and I'm like, yo, that's actually not funny. <laughs> so right. um, I encourage anyone to watch it if you want to, you know, know more about their experience from them and how these images have impacted them. That's Lazy and, and uh, go ahead, Trees. Uh, I was just going to ask, like, I think I missed where you said you saw that on which 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 platform? Netflix. It's on Netflix. Netflix. Okay. Lazy, I was going to ask, have you seen um, Tangerine movie from 2015? That was shot on an iPhone, right? Yes, shot on iPhone, directed by Sean Baker, same guy who directed uh, the Florida Project. I've seen the thumbnail for it. I haven't actually watched it, and if I did, I don't remember what it's about. 
involved. Uh, it's it's about uh, a couple of trans women. Um, I've heard wonderful things about the movie. It seems like something that'd be really up your alley. Maybe you should check it out. But I've seen his other film, uh, The Florida Project, and that's a that's a great movie. Um, no, I've I'll always check wanted to check out. out Tangerine. It would be a great opportunity to this month uh, before Pride Month ends. So maybe I'll hop on that train. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think both of those might be on Hulu, but don't get me to lying. I've seen the thumbnails, though. Man, All right. I'll investigate. Speak, speaking of uh, Black Lives Matter, Lizzie, I saw a documentary that you probably um, uh, really enjoy, man. The Criterion Collection has, you know, they have like a, a channel and on it, it's like a 30 minute it might be 40 minute, 40 minute documentary on the Black Panthers. And it, what's interesting to me is, is like you get you get like Bobby Seale, you get uh, Eldridge Cleaver, you get Kathleen Cleaver. You Fred get, Hampton. Um, well, not not in this particular one. Um, OK, you don't get Fred Hampton. Is this uh, the one get, that when they start out talking about the elephant? Is it the one that was on PBS? Is it the Vanguard? Or no. The- Okay. No, it's, it's a different it's a, one. It's a different one. I've never okay. heard of this. I've never seen it. I've never seen anything from it. And I just, you know, I, I happened to be flipping through the Criterion Collection uh, archive, and it popped up, and I was like, "Yo, I've never heard of this." Um, and you know, Kwame Ture, you get all of them, like n- not just in the same documentary, but they were like in the same space. Talking. Oh, nice! I've never it's, seen that before. I've never seen that before. And it, it, it was, you know, during the period where, um, where, um. Oh God! Why am I not? Uh, who's who? The other one that started with Bobby Seale, man. Bobby Seale. No, the other the uh, uh Huey, Huey Newton. When when Huey was uh, man, I'm sorry. Please forgive me, man. God rest the dead. Huey Newton. When Huey was locked up, they were doing okay. like a. They were like doing almost. They were doing like a, a lot of awareness. So they were doing like parties and things like that to sort of like bring awareness to what was happening with him. So it, the the documentary kind of covered that time. Where they were I just, call that the free Huey period of, of the Black Panther. There you go. The free Huey uh, period. It yeah. was really, it's not that it was like amazingly good. It was fairly well done. It seems like Martin Scorsese had a hand in getting it, you know, put into the Criterion Collection. But um, it was just good seeing all those people in that same space. You always get bits and pieces of them. And that's a that's a um a channel like a like a streaming service that you're talking about. I, I know it's on it's a it's an app that's on my um Apple TV. I don't know how to do it like on Roku or anything like that. Oh, well, you know it, that's what I got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Criterion Collection. If you got a chance, and it was I'm I didn't see, have to make I an account. It? it was just right there. So. Oh, nice. I'm gonna see. Can I find it? And it's Criterion with a C. Yeah, you know the uh, Criterion Collection. Yeah, C R. Uh, you know the, the the how do you explain traditional that, spelling. Chandler? Yeah. Yeah, they're like uh it's like a film archive basically of like it's a very hi- high esteem if you get admitted to the Criterion collection. Right. And yeah, only a handful like Kira, of movies every year get up there. Like, you know, that's where like a bunch of Kira, you know, Kira Kurosawa, Kira Kurosawa movies are like in the Criterion oh. collection. I'll just see uh, if I can uh, find it on Canopy also. It might be there as well. On the Kurosawa note, by the way, uh if any of y'all got HBO Max, which is a whole thing streaming on its own, you know, a whole battle to try to find that service. But if you've got access to it, they have a uh, a whole section for turning classic movies. And uh, they've got a ton of Kurosawa films up there. And uh, it's a really great answer to the Criterion Channel, which, like, if you want the full services from the Criterion Channel, I think that's its own charge of, like, somewhere between 10 and 15 a month. But if you have HBO nice. Max, there's a ton of old movies, um, old notable movies available to stream right there. And... uh 
it's often written about how streaming services kind of neglect older films, you know, mm. like the classics. So uh, HBO Max is a great place to go to find uh, some of the older films that you've missed out on. My queue is full of them right now. Right. That's dope, man. I like this whole HBO Max rollout. Dude, I, I love clunky, it. But yeah, I, I know. And it, it did. The clunkiness didn't really affect me, but I am on the record as uh, be, being very, uh, very enthralled with it. I, I love it. I thought I love the design. I love the user interface. I love the library. I think it's a great service. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I've um, been casting it from my phone onto my TV because I just couldn't wait on Roku anymore. And yeah. I'm knee deep in the Anna Kendrick series, Love Life, and I'm enjoying it. I encourage <laughs> Chandler to watch and he was like nah fam yeah homie I watch that <laughs> no, thank you, you. you rely on a Roku hard man just go get yourself a um one of those fire sticks they don't have it either oh they shit. don't have it either I'd have no. to get like I don't know if Chromecast has it like I'm not sure but I nah nah I mean, Chromecast ain't got it that's what you're doing is casting yeah mm. well I'm, I'm casting it from my old Samsung onto my Roku and it works fine I'm watching oh, it God. on my Xbox that's the only device that has it right now I'm in oh. my house Oh, yeah, I, got, I was gonna say I got it on my PS4, yeah, and um, and on my uh, Apple TV, but um, kind of as a uh, you know, last episode we did we did uh the whole HBO versus FX, so I've been you know trying to watch shows on FX and stuff like that, man, and and I got to tell you, man, I started I started and finished Mister In Between on FX, which is an Australian sort of like gangster comedy drama mashup. It's like a Guy Ritchie film. It feels like Snatch, a lot like a television version of Snatch. And I have to say, this is some of like, like the dialogue writing, just the entire show, the way the show is done. It's very visceral, but it's like, it has a very, um, uh, just personable quality to it. Uh, you know, the whole thing is about like a, it's this hitman guy that is a, you know, he co-parents with it. He co-parents with his ex-wife for his daughter. If I, I know I messed that all up, how I just said that, but you get, I think I mean. it made sense. Yeah. And, and, and he's like the best dad on earth, but he's also, you know, he does raw shit, you know, when he, when he's not in her presence. Um, and it is, it is like amazingly good, bro. Um, I've never heard I of watched. the actor before. You, you watched it, Martin. Oh yeah. I watched the first episode and, he left his daughter in a car to go like beat up some people for like ten minutes. Yeah, he, he <laughs> was that right. on her. Man, no, I mean she was okay. She was fine. She was seven years old. She knows how to handle herself in a car. <laughs> yeah, seven years uh, old. <laughs> he just went to an alley that was like right by the car. It's not like she he left her out of sight and stuff, you know. But yeah, I mean it. It looks good. I, I gotta I gotta keep watching it though. It gets so because I don't know work. where where it's gonna go really. It it you you couldn't predict it. It's kind of like it's not really anthology, um, but not all the stories are related. It's kind of like a new adventure each, um, like a new situation each episode, and every now and then yeah. thread together. It's it's pretty much kind of like Dave or Atlanta, where it's like yeah, and it's I not saw, a, I saw the dude who plays uh, Dewey Crow in um, Justified. He's like the um, I never seen Justified. He's uh he's like the strip club boss or whatever. Oh. Okay, yeah, it's the same guy who played. He played uh, Charles Manson in. Um, oh yeah, in, um, and, uh, uh, once, once upon a time, time in Hollywood. Hollywood yeah, it's yeah. That guy. yeah, yeah. So yeah, man. Not to get long winded on stuff we've seen, but uh, you know, just to give some context to some people that are looking for some things to watch, uh, it's maybe good to jump into some of that stuff. But uh, y'all ready to get into the main entree here? And is. Let's do it, man. The Five Bloods Netflix offering. This latest offering from uh from you know my 
my my personal favorite director, Spike Lee. Um, everybody knows this that listens to the show. I'm assuming. I'm surprised um, you didn't call him the big homie. The big homie. Well, you know, you know, he may or may not listen to this, and he may be like, "Big homie, shit, I ain't you." You know how that goes. So I got, I got a front. You know what I mean? Can we I go on the front. record as like how everybody pronounces the title? I think that's an interesting debate. The, the five well, bloods. Well, Stephen pronouncing it on your show was hilarious. He was like, "The five blood." <laughs> the five blood. He was, was trying. trying he was trying. Look, I was proud of Stephen on the Act Three podcast. You can listen to that at Act Three Podcast dot com. I was proud of Stephen because he didn't ask me how to say it beforehand. Nice. I'm, he, I'm went, sure. he went in like full blooded. Yeah, like f- sail fully up, like masked out, like duff five bloods. Like he knew how to say it. And so now I myself, I'm kind of like, I think I'm saying it with a D, but it's like, I'm kind of like fudging it. I'm like the five bloods. Like it's almost a TH. <laughs> very, very mysterious that, that beginning D, right? Like if I was questioned on it, I would start to sweat. If someone was like, "What'd you say?" I'd be like, uh, "I don't know." <laughs> That's actually funny, Corey. How do you pronounce it? Out of curiosity, I I just quickly go to Five Bloods. <laughs> I, just, I didn't know this was a thing that people didn't know how to pronounce. It's this. it's very fast. The Five Bloods. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, if it, obviously, if you're listening to this episode. And you didn't hear the spoiler alert at the beginning. We do spoil films pretty hard. That's kind of like our whole thing. So you might just want to cut this bad boy off, off the rip and join back when you when you jump in on Netflix. I know you got Netflix or using somebody's account. So there's no excuse why you haven't seen it yet. Um, uh, Since Corey's back, do we want to bring it back to Corey Reed and Synopsi? Four African-American vets battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader. And the gold fortune they helped them hide. Nice. I'm gonna tell you, man. On paper, that synopsis is smoking. I really, I really like it. Big treasure hunt. Kind of feels like Goonies off the rip, like an adult Vietnam version of Goonies. Um, when you read the synopsis on paper, uh, on on a on a level of, um, I guess one to five, and then a little bit of uh, discussion to it. How? Where did the excitement range for you guys when you heard about this film and you saw it was coming straight to straight to digital? I know I think it was supposed to get a theatrical release, but obviously um, COVID canceled a lot of plans for everybody. So where where did y'all rank on excitement when y'all heard about this one? I, I would say I was actually mildly excited because I, I find that more artistic directors that go straight to Netflix tend to produce better quality products versus Hmm. you know versus extraction you know which was one of you know so i've given up on the action films but like when an um a director who's more of an auteur goes to netflix the product tends to be a little bit better um you know but then you know scorsese was kind of okay and 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 this turned out to be just okay for me as well but i i actually was excited because i am more curious of how someone who's a little more artistic, how their relationship with Netflix will eventually show out on the platform. So right. I feel like they're going to just get a little bit more, they get a little more freedom and, and, and things like that. So I was actually mildly excited. Nice. How about, how about you, Lizzie? Um, I didn't know a whole lot about it leading up to it, which is really sad. Cause you know, I follow Spike on a, 
on Instagram and I normally see his post, but that I, that hating ass algorithm just been in a damn way with what I want to know. Shit didn't even tell me Hamilton was coming. Um, That's funny. <laughs> but I was upset. I had to find out from some ice stories, but um, I, I didn't hear a whole lot about it other than like from you um, mm. in our chat. And you were just like, yo, Spike got a film coming. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm ready too. Right. Nice. Chandler. Um, I was very, very excited. Um, I am the young gun of all of us. Uh, there's a bit of an age gap. It's okay though. Okay, wait. You guys are you are, Chris or Neve? I need you guys know. are all still very cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, my first Spike Lee film—I'm ashamed to say it—was Black Klansman. Um, mm. and that film was a huge film for me. I loved it when it came out. Um, I was incredibly happy to see Spike win the Oscar. Of course, I, you know, academically. I know of the man's career, um, but that was really, that was my entry point. So um, I had really, really high hopes coming off of this. And uh, just like you said, man, the, the pitch, you know, the, the couple sentences, that's money to me. That's dynamite, man. I was very, very excited. Um, so I'd say I went in probably like out of five, I don't know, like a four, four and a half. Like a four, four and a half. Okay. Nice. Martin. Um, yeah, I was definitely interested because I like Miracle at St. Anna. So I was cool with him doing another um, black war movie showing like the experiences of black people in Vietnam versus like Italy, I guess that was in the first in Miracle at St. Anna. So I was definitely looking forward to it. And just because of this time of like COVID, not a lot of event movies come out really. Like I just talked about um, King of Staten Island, where it's like one of those might come like once a month now, whereas they used to come every week. So anything if it's on netflix i'm cool watching it yeah i'm i'm kind of the same with you martin man you know coming off saint, uh miracle of saint anna that was obviously the one that i sort of had the most compare you know drew the most comparison felt like it would be the presentation of it would be uh fairly the same um um uh, and and you know Sp- spike is you know to me very versatile where it's like you he'll step in different lanes and I'm just always curious to see like how he mixes up the pot with a particular genre. Um, you know, so, so I was, you know, on paper a thousand percent, just excited about this and, and really wanted to see where it was going. And then of course, you know, Delroy, man, uh, you know, from West Indian Archie to, uh, um, uh, when he played in, uh, the role that he played in clockers, man. Um, Rodney, I think his name, he was like a gangster in uh, Clockers called Rodney. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those two performances, obviously, for me, really blew me away. So I was already excited. I mean, just everybody, everybody in the cast, except there was like one guy that I, wa- I wasn't too familiar with. Uh, the one that stepped on the mine, of course, you know, which is a spoiler if you haven't seen it. Um, I, I wasn't familiar with him, but he was probably it out of all five of the guys. All five of the main stars. And Norm Lewis is that actor's name? Yeah, yeah. his okay, name is Norm yeah. Lewis. I the, the thing that I remember seeing him in was um he was on Scandal for a few episodes. Oh, okay. uh, at his age, playing Carrie Washington's boyfriend, which was super cute. That's funny. <laughs> he was the yeah. one that told her he saw her. He's like, I know you. I've seen you press your hair. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is really black. <laughs> that's the only recollection of him that I really have. I'm sure I've seen him in other things, but that's when he stuck out to me. Yeah. I don't know if you guys ever watched this old like black show called Amen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I watched Amen. Amen. Yeah, he looks like the um 
what is the Clifton the Davis? Day. Yeah, I don't oh. know his name. Yeah, I know he does kind of look like though. Clifton Davis. Yeah, also of That's My Mama. <laughs> I, for, I forgot about that dude but you're right he looks a lot like him yeah, yeah man um okay so that's where we were in terms of excitement man um let's get it i mean let's get into the meat and potatoes of this thing man uh uh who wants to who wants to kick it off who wants to kick it off with this conversation here everybody's shaking their head <laughs> leaving it to four trees well i mean i guess i guess shout out to marv jones um be- for pointing out to me that the lead characters in the movie are named after the Temptations. And I mean, spoiler alert, the one who lives is Otis, which I should have foreshadowed (laughs) to see had I been paying attention to that. Because, you know, obviously I was like, okay, Paul and David were talking about something biblical, which there are some biblical parallels there. But the fact that it was the Temptations and they they died um, with the exception of David, they died in like a similar a similar order also. Right, that's very interesting. When you when you pointed that out, I didn't realize it. There there was a conversation where um Jonathan Major's character was having the the conversation with a French girl and she asked about the names. Um and he said that his name was well his name was David, right? And she Yeah, was like, she oh, said like, like the, the Babel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she said, Oh, like the like the Bible and he was like, nah, like David Ruffin, you know, so that was kind of a dead giveaway. I and I'm sad I didn't piece it together. Um I think Jonathan came in Oh sorry. Huh? No, Sorry. no, go for it. Uh, I think Jonathan Majors is dope. He was Yo. in the last Black Man in San Francisco. He was amazing yeah. in that. Yeah, movie. and he he was, he was very good in that film, and he he was you know he was moderately decent in this film, but he he stands out. I think he he's got a good career ahead of him. Yeah, man, he's, he's in he's in Lovecraft Country coming up on HBO uh, here soon. Yeah, the Journey Smollett. Well, he he was also in um the last thing I saw him in was um I told you I watched White Boy Rick maybe like two months ago. And he played like a gangster in that joint. He played like the, like the head honcho. Is that the joint where the the young dude and Matthew McConaughey's the dad? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Boy, that, 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 he got nickels in his mouth. Yeah, that movie wasn't that good. <laughs> it, it wasn't. It had it had you know it had the tone of being yeah potentially yeah. really good. Um, you know that 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 kid wasn't really a strong actor. Yeah. Um, and the story just kind of seemed a little. I couldn't really get a grasp on it. Yeah. On what was really happening. But um, but if you remember, he played the yeah he played like the top gangster dude that that was running Detroit at the mm-hmm. time. That was Jonathan Major, okay. and if you couldn't tell us because he was really you know, he kind of like he kind of mutated a little bit in that character, mm-hmm. um, and that's what I appreciate about him. It seems like he's he's willing to go balls to the wall on his uh his portrayals of these characters. He's willing to step outside of boxes and be a little bit vulnerable, and that's something I always like to see in actors, um. You know, me personally, um, the movie came out, came, you know, it came on heavy with the montage, man. You know, Marvin Gaye montage. We got, you know, Muhammad, Muhammad Ali, Ali. <laughs> right off the rip. Saying, I, you know, you know, Viacom called me, nigga. You know, this, that, that. And, you know, just kind of like a, a really famous quote, uh, obviously, post uh, him saying, hell, no, nah, I'm not going to war. Um and his whole proclamation about that entire thing. So it was just like a collage of a lot of things that were going on, going on in the sixties. So you already knew what time it was when you, when you hit play on the thing. Um, um, it's just, I mean, I'll, I, I kind of don't know how to kick this man. Y'all, well, I'll, I'll, I'll segue to the one thing that I, I really love. Delroy Lindo did an amazing job. Um, probably, one of the better performances from a Spike Lee film that I've seen in a very long time. And 
to me just absolutely killed it absolutely did a great job and 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 probably one of the 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 best parts of the film in my opinion so yo what what was the moment you realized he was given a hell of a performance <sighs> the maybe the chicken on the boat a little you know that was kind of that was kind of a dope little a thing i'd have to that that's probably the you know yeah so. i mean cuz i ended up watching it twice and you kind of right that it, it seems like he really he activated on that on that part, you know. Up until then, I mean, he was strong, mm-hmm. and he was saying things, and you know, and you could tell he was kind of like the, it was the alpha out of the crew. But you know, that, but I, I guess knowing that he potentially was going to be the loose cannon, and to have that moment, you know what I mean. And then what I thought was interesting it was that the line of dialogue afterwards was you know he seemed confused and then the 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 guide let him know like yo he understands the racial slur you're calling him you know what i mean like mm-hmm. he knows what you're saying so like you know so i mean i just i just thought that was an interesting moment and and it, and it was it was a good performance yeah i like that um and i mean this is probably more of a spike thing than something i can give to delroy but i like that at the point where um, he was saying that he was a Trump supporter and he had these feelings about, you know, foreigners, I guess, like you can kind of see where that stemmed from his experience over in Vietnam. And then it carried over into his interactions with with people there. Mm. So the idea of these guys going back to Vietnam pretty much what, about 50 years later um, to retrieve this gold. Um, uh the timeline's a little sticky, I feel like, because <laughs> talk, they all, they're all a little bit younger than they should be, really, if they fought in Vietnam in their 20s. Okay. What do you, like... Do, I, well, I mean, I just, I think, like, timeline-wise, like, they're all, like, they should be, like, in their 70s, right? But some of the actors are in their 50s, and they're hauling, like, you know, large quantities of gold and... You know, this is a very physically trying adventure that they go on. I'm not caught up on that. I just think it's an interesting point to bring up. I think that it's fine, and it's something you I'm totally willing to suspend disbelief on because maybe this story canonically would have taken place like in the you know the earlier mid 2000s, but this is when the film got made, and so it's fine to set it uh you know in a contemporary setting. I think that's fine. Right. Um. Okay. Interestingly enough, like. I'm thinking about my grandfather at 70 years old. He was strong as a bitch. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if it's that unrealistic, Um, especially for, I mean, the the odds of there being like four guys in their seventies who are still very, very strong. I I understand where you're coming from. Seems like slim. Um, Maybe this takes place four years ago. Who knows? Yeah. Um, Because I I mean, the reference to 45 is really the only thing that kind of ties it into a, a tight timeline. Yeah. Well, My the only oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, the only scene I felt like that was, um, I guess, the chicken scene, where the guy mm-hmm. says, "You killed my mother and father," and I was like, "He looks like he's forty years old." So mm-hmm. you would be like, <laughs> "In that they killed your parents in the eighties, and you remembered it." I mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> that and the little boy that was missing a leg. I was just kind of like, um. Well, okay. there's still mines there, yeah. So yeah, well, I, I just true. figured that's he just true. stepped on a mine somewhere. See, thank you. Thank you for bringing that around for me, Martin, because I was curious. Delroy well, Lindo is 68 years old as of yeah. today. So just that uh, Chadwick Boseman 
is a 42 year old man so he probably wouldn't even be alive even if he didn't die in the war (laughs) (laughs) i'm just saying it was a long time ago or if he didn't get shot by his friend so yeah yeah the the, um yeah now i i get everything y'all are saying which you know makes a lot of sense i i didn't put i didn't give that much thought into it but now that you say it you're kind of absolutely right um i mean obviously there was a few things you know in the plot points here man that were a little you know, that kind of raised eyebrows for me, even as like the, 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 I'm like as Stan as you can get in terms of like Spike Lee, um, stands, you know what I mean? And, you know, there was just some things that made me laugh and we were on the, you know, the group chat and we were talking about the 13th, you know, the, the J's, the Jordans that were just sitting in, you know, just sitting on this random wire, you know, uh, along a river in, in the Vietnam. middle of the jungle. Yeah, in the yeah. middle of a jungle, these pristine Jordans, you know, so many that, that raised so many questions. And obviously, anybody who knows anything about Spike's history, he has a he has an amazing relationship with Jordan, uh, with kind of, you know, um, did a lot of those Jordan commercials early on when Jordan was gaining steam and Spike was gaining steam at the same time. They kind of came out of kind of came out of school together, so to speak. So I know the relationship is really, really thick there. Um, so there I, you was know, some I other Easter eggs, too. Yeah, point him out. So, you know, there's always a baseball reference. He did those when he was talking about, like, being pigeon <laughs> Right, right. At the very beginning. I yeah. caught that early. Did you yeah. catch any others? Um, Off the rip, I can't. I spaced on the wake up. I don't know where it is. I'm sure you do. You said you did what? I spaced on the wake up. What you talking you about? You know, that's, a, that's like a line of dialogue in all of the movies someone says wake up i don't remember where it oh spaced on the wake up i see what you're saying yeah i didn't catch it in this one i, di- I didn't catch I'm sure it if i watch one. it again if, and i'm listening for it like if i'm in the theater i would have caught it because you know right not multitasking in the theater but. right 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 um yeah i'm sure this thing was chock full of easter eggs man um i i, I didn't catch as many as you i'm sure um the, you know the, i mean the, the uh I guess one is um I don't know the actor's name the dude from the wire who was the uh, oh, politician Peters. yeah the, he did the shit thing from the wire so <laughs> the that, shit I thing guess. yeah I mean he that, always he does that in literally yeah, everything every, he's every in every movie yeah. yeah even if it's not a Spike Lee movie he does it oh I'm sure <laughs> you're talking about oh yeah Isaiah Whitlock yeah. my bad because you know both Clark Peters and Isaiah Whitlock were in the wire so I, my bad I forgot um yeah shit but you know Clark Peters he played um the the older detective that was in the basement yeah. with with all of them and helping them fit, crack the codes and all that is there anything to be said about like um the whole ideology of like a war even when it's over how much it sort of has completely changed the landscape of a place or like the history of a place you know um there was that scene at the beginning where they were in the club and their Vietnamese sort of tour guide was talking about like how he's had disruption in his family being that he was from North Vietnam, I think, um, you know, and basically the, the guys that were across the table that sent him drinks, they were all related to him, but I guess he didn't have like a relationship with him. I didn't really understand what was, what he was saying there, but the gist of it that I got is that like war absolutely created even civil unrest amongst them. And it sort of changed the history of Vietnam. Vietnam. Is there anything to be said about that? Like, is that is that kind of like is that what war does? Right. Because like we you know, we have an American viewpoint of war. So, you know, it doesn't it doesn't hit us the same as it does, like on the ground in these other places. 
Well, I, I interpreted it as that, and, and I could be completely wrong because me and Treasy were talking earlier about how information, I'm not, my brain isn't working as good as it used to be. But I, I vaguely remember that those guys were members of the Vietnam Army or, you know, that they... The Viet Cong. The Viet Cong, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, a lot of talk these days has been about, you know, the Confederacy and the flag and things like that. So I didn't know maybe if he's trying to say something about, you know, they represent the losing side that still has to be a part of the society that they're in. You know, and I obviously we know that mm. we're very, very much removed from the uh, the Civil War in America. But maybe that's a, a play on that. I, I'm not really sure that, you know, that you lost, but you now you have to be. You got you to gotta be all civil with everybody. You got to reintegrate yourself. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, th- that could be a, a, an interpretation of that. Uh, uh, you know, it's a thought. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's we it. lost. <laughs> well, yeah. We lost. Well, I, I know. I know what you mean. But, yeah. So, Did you guys uh, hear the original cast for this movie? I just recently, actually today, was reading and found out about this. Um, but it was originally supposed to be Samuel L. Jackson. Giancarlo Esposito, Don Cheadle, and John David Washington. That would have been a hell of a cast, huh? So John David Washington replaces Chadwick. Storm and Norman, yeah. I would um, I could see Samuel and Delroy's part. Yeah. I love Giancarlo's too young, but I love it. I love everything about the names you just said. Um, He would just have had to set it like at a different time. Yeah, they all kind of, I mean... Giancarlo and Don Cheadle both read younger than anybody in this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, did you guys know how this film started off? Like, this script has a really interesting development process. Speak it. Um, it started out um, as a film being developed for, uh, what's his name? You know, the director of Platoon. I had a hard time remembering this. Oh, what's the guy's name? You know, oh, he was... Uh, oh. Yeah, he Not Oliver Scarface. Stone. Uh, yeah, Oliver Stone. Yeah. Yeah, oh, Oliver okay. Stone. So it was going to be an Oliver Stone project in like uh, 2013-ish. Okay. Um, I think, believe it was called The Last Tour. And uh, it was not uh, about black veterans. It was just about veterans. And it mm. still had kind of the treasure hunt angle. Like the bones of the script were similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but that project ended up not happening with Oliver Stone. And then uh, the writers of that film kind of held on to it. And then... Uh, it eventually got around to Spike, and then Spike and he, his writing partner uh, took a stab at it, and then they added all the Spike elements. They, I think one of the most brilliant things about the movie is that it takes what is essentially a story written about the truth of being a veteran in America, right? right. And then it gets filtered through the Spike lens of, okay, well, let's make that very specific to the black veteran American experience, which is something that's not been explored nearly as much in pop culture right. and it's it's sort of a corny adage but it gets said all the time you know the more specific you make a screenplay the broader the appeal is right because you're you're really speaking to an experience um in a less generalized and more sincere way when you're when you're telling a more specific story and i think this movie is exactly that mm. um you know i'm sure i'll have to get into later the things that i didn't really like about this movie and there are plenty of those but Right. Um, I think that 
the way that this script kind of went from, you know, organically being about one thing and then it goes through other writers and it's another thing and it's not, it doesn't have the feeling to me of being too many cooks in the kitchen. This feels very much like a Spike movie. I would have thought that he developed it from scratch if I hadn't read otherwise, you know? That's actually a very good point, which brings me to a good question, which is like, in in watching this, do you, you know, like Corey Chandler, specifically for y'all two being, you know, white men. What? You, right. Total shocker. Right. Plot twist. Um, what? In, in watching I think, this I think, film. I think Chandler prefers person of non-color. Oh, person of non-color? I am That's peach. A right. privilege. I prefer peach. That's my more, <laughs> I am a more of a peach tone. You yeah. apricot. Yeah. <laughs> What's your point, Tracy? (laughs) Does this perspective of black veterans does it does it add or does it subtract from the experience to you, or 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 neither? Do you do you not see color in this case? Oh my god! Uh, I'll be honest. I I don't. I I think the fact that there's been several films about the Vietnam War and there's been several incidences where you had you've had PTSD and people who have come back confused or, you know, the the whole argument of, you know, you go over there, you come back and no one respects you. I mean, there's been plenty of examples in the, for white soldiers where that is actually just born on 4th of July. There's uh, even parts of Forrest Gump, things like that. So to me, Forrest Gump probably the most accurate portrayal of Vietnam in yeah. any film. Um, because <laughs> so, you were there. <laughs> right. so, so, I mean, honestly, I, I think it's a story that needs to be told, but I think it in a odd kind of way, it is a universal story for people who are in the military, who people who do go to war. Um, so I, in a way I didn't see color, but I think it's important to tell this story with color, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So I definitely think it adds, you know, the black perspective is, it's hard to imagine what the story would be without that. Like it seems like it would feel very empty. Um, but that said, uh, my grandfather was a, a colonel in the Marine Corps um, and he fought in Vietnam and I thought to myself a lot like I saw aspects of my grandfather in all of these characters in different ways mm-hmm. and um, you know I think my grandpa was a guy who was really tortured by his experience and one of my great regrets in life is I didn't talk to him more about it before he he passed, and uh, I kept thinking about that while I was watching the movie, because seeing these guys, you know, who are of a similar age to how old my grandpa would be if he were still around, you know, seeing them deal with their pain so outwardly and having it still be so present, it just made me think, like, is this something that he was dealing with, you know, and I had no clue, I was, you know, yeah. it seems like these guys are so tortured by their experience, and and of course, their experience would have been different from from that of my grandpa, because my grandpa is white too. I don't know if you guys assumed that. But oh, he is. Okay. I didn't want to assume. Okay, I yeah. right. assume. thank you. That's the, very nice. But the more you know, um, <laughs> you know. But still, I think that I think that all veterans would say there's a degree of a of a shared experience. You know, no matter what role you ful- you fulfilled in the war, like it does something to everybody, and it, some percentage of that has to be the same. Um, and so it made me think about that a lot, but I also enjoyed the, the specificity, you know, of, I, you know, I knew about when the veterans came back, you know, from the war and, and, 
the culture at the time really didn't approve of what they had done and that was a tough thing for a lot of people i can't imagine coming back and dealing with that and also being black in america in the 60s yeah you know what i mean i i mean that's I think a lot of people who see this movie probably haven't thought about that before. And if if the movie uh, opens their minds to that possibility and, and thinking about those uh, American stories, those very American stories, then I think that Spike did his job. Yeah. You know what? I, I got to say, man, I didn't really... So outside of like the montages and I'm trying to think some other things that kind of like gave me that resonance of like the, the, you know, the black experience post um, Vietnam war. I, I I don't feel like he really concentrated on that with this film. Right. I felt like, I felt like the film was a little bit more of a, um, a commentary on capitalism uh, more than anything. Um, it, you know, even with like, um, uh, when Norm was, was his name Norm? Yeah. No, not Storm and Norm. Sorry. The, uh, Eddie, the the guy, the the first guy that blew up in the mine, yeah. you know, when he he paid for everything with the black card, but then we get his story later about him having like, you, you know, he has this veneer of of being the successful car salesman, car dealership, rich guy, but in reality, it's all a shell. You know, they were he. It sounds like he sort of sold his. I I couldn't really understand if he sold his businesses and they sort of kept the name and he ran through that money but he wasn't it really sounded like control. he licensed his name to businesses and he wasn't really the person who was making the money off of his own image which is go. which is a thing that black people experience um a lot of successful black people experience in america very um, much but even in that they didn't he didn't he didn't really get into the meat and potato of that right it was just sort of this commentary that left a lot of margin for you to think on your own and i kind of felt i, I kind of felt like that was a huge change for a Spike Lee film, especially when we come out the gate um, with, you know, the black experience right in your face. And then when we start getting into the journey, it was less about the black experience and more about the experience of these soldiers. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I got to say, for me, I thought that was a, that was a fairly decent, pleasant, to pleasant be honest, surprise. I, I was going to piggyback on that. To be honest, the first thing I thought of was um, when he mentioned the whole license, you know, licensing of names, I thought of Donald Trump. I thought of, yeah, I thought of like how Trump does the whole, you know, the golf courses and the hotels and stuff. That's what I thought of, to be honest with you. that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that was, I I wonder, you know, you never know. I wonder if that was a subliminal like sort of shot at, because we all know, man, he has no, no love for, as he calls him, Agent Orange. Yeah. Um, (laughs) um, So yeah, that's, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Except instead of being actually bankrupt, he's morally bankrupt. He's morally bankrupt. Right? Whoa! Good I said ma- what I said. How many I kilos? Said what of, I said. How many <laughs> kilos of gold was that, man? How many bars was that? If y'all had to guess, you know them games where like people put a bunch of pennies in a jar. Well, you know, like, if you had asked me in pounds, I would have known, but I'm not good with the metric system, so I got to bow out. <laughs> yeah, you said uh, kilos and the, the fucking yards. Well, that's that's shit. how they that's how they um, measure gold, right? Like the bars no. are one kilo. Yeah, no. they kilo is kilo isn't. They do gold in kilos. Absolutely, they measure gold in carrots. You're very cute. However, <laughs> no, but no, but isn't isn't carrot? Doesn't that speak more like the quality of the gold? It's the weight. Well, how many carrots that. do you think weighs the same as one gold bar, though? Because I mean, I a carrot is pretty I, light. I like thought, if you I cut up a carrot, even if you cook each. it in a 
pot, it's still even if it absorbs the water, it's still going to be pretty light. So I just don't even <laughs> understand why it's apples and oranges or carrots or gold. You know, if yeah. you if you want to say yeah. it that way, don't ever You're change. Um, but I always thought that each of those bars was like a pound. They're probably more than a pound. Yeah, I would I would say more. So hmm. I'm 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 almost positive, and if somebody's in a position to fact check this, please do. I'm Working almost on positive. It. A gold bar is one kilo, and a kilo is two point two pounds. Okay, so the Googles say that the standard gold bar held as gold reserves by central banks is twelve point four kilograms or four hundred thirty eight ounces. Yikes! That's heavy. Twelve point four kilograms for one bar. Yeah, that's heavy as fuck. So it is measured in kilos. So that's a strike on you, Leezy. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, th- that's way heavier than I thought. 12, 12 kilos. He actually just gave you both of the, the measurements, sir. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what you mean? He didn't say nothing about no carrots? No, he, he gave you both the imperial and the metric measurement. Yeah. Oh, what'd you say? What was the imperial one? I missed that. Um. And it says it weighs about 400 ounces or 25 pounds. 25 pounds, oh. okay. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's heavy as fuck, bro. So, yeah, now it makes sense why they were struggling. I don't think that those you. weighed 25 pounds a piece. Not in this movie. Uh, they were picking them up like nothing. I tell you, yeah. if I got to pick something up that weighs 25 pounds in one hand, I'm going to put it down pretty quickly. Yeah. Pretty much. What's, what was that movie where Ben Affleck dragged all that money across the Andes that I hated? Yeah, triple, um, triple, triple Frontier. Triple Frontier. Yeah, that was Chandler's yeah, yeah. favorite movie last year. God. It, did not yeah, like that it was like tri- It was like Triple Frontier, which yeah. was ridiculous. So. Are we $10 gonna, million dollars out. I feel like we're kind of circling the uh, the runway here. Let's do on it. Discussing Atlanta, some of the more... Um, specific aspects of the execution of this movie which is let's go i'm i'm not excited to get to that point because you know let's go do it you're here let's do it i mean do i gotta start i, I think just, you I, should start treasy because you were the one who offered up the criticism and grouped me first so like come on with it bro what criticism and group me did i offer up you were saying something about ignoring a 180 rule oh, oh yeah without true. a doubt oh oh thank you thank you for reminding me actually i completely forgot about that for the for that yo that explain, entire club explain scene, to the uninitiated what that means okay yo dog the 180 rule so and Corey back me up on this or martin back me up on this i know about the 180 rule nobody <laughs> asked you though you had your chance with the microphone <laughs> so the 180 rule basically is like um and the easiest way i can explain it is when you frame a character you're framing a character um Okay, if your character's framed to the right of the screen, you know, to the to the right thirds of the screen, in your reverse shot, they still need to be framed on the right side of the screen. So the, when you break the 180 rule, if you're going to your reverse shot, if your actor starts off in the, the right side of the screen and, and on your reverse shot, they end up on the left side of the screen, you've completely broken your 180 rule, which I, I which I don't really know the science behind it, but it, it you know, when... When people start jumping around on screen, it, it I guess it, it does disorients it disorients the viewer. You. Yeah, it disorients the viewer sort of subconsciously. Dog, the entire club, bar, Vietnam, have a drink on me scene, bro. I couldn't figure out who was sitting where, and it was yeah. driving me crazy. I I did find it distracting in this movie because I 
it was just a thing where I realized I was spatially confused, and then I was like, why? And then I started paying attention. I was like, oh, everyone's jumping around everywhere. Like, Yeah. And and, and I, I was trying my best to rationalize what, what was the point of that? Like, are are we, is it because we're in a foreign place and that's kind of what the, you know, it's foreign to the viewer, but to these guys who spent a, a certain amount of time in Vietnam and they know this space, it shouldn't be that confusing to them, correct? Like, that was my only rationale behind it. So, like, so you would be, you would be presenting them in a disoriented space based upon an orientation they should know. They know this culture. They know this layout. The viewers shouldn't feel confused. We should be sitting in the same way that these guys are sitting in, in their environment. In my, in my opinion about that. Did anybody um, else have any view? And a lot of, and a lot of movies that do it, some of the rationale has always been that the subjects are, for lack of a better word, are lost or disoriented or they don't know where they're going. That's been kind of the auteur kind of example. Um, right. Kubrick did it at the end of Full Metal Jacket. Um, they were walking one way in the end scene for the credits, and then they flipped the camera to go the other way, you know, to signify they don't know where they're going and things like that. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. I think it's very distracting and very disorienting. Um, but there, there have been people who've done it for artistic purposes. Right. I mean, does anybody have another viewpoint on what that particular artistic purpose could have been here? Because it was just, it, it didn't make sense to me. I couldn't, um, I couldn't I'll, figure it out. I, I'm going to just say, I don't, I don't want to nitpick and deconstruct too much, but I kind of just put it in a box of like, like I just take a huge box and then this box, I just want to say Spike going to do what he want to do. Yeah. I'm going to put that in there. I'm going to put the, uh, the cutaways to like pictures of people that they're talking about. Uh I'm going to put the interviews in there. I'm going to put like the dolly shot in there. I'm going to put a lot of stuff in there and I'm I'm going to wrap it up and I'm going to put it in the corner and say, Spike going to do what he want to do. And you know, (laughs) and and it's funny, Martin, because after this movie, I think several people texted me thinking that I was going to just, you know, be up in arms about it. And I texted trees and I said, you know, I guess at this point, I'm with Martin. I just got to have a box that I'm going to put all the (laughs) Spike Lee stuff that he likes to do that I most of the time don't really particularly like. I'm just going to have to deal with that and move on with my life. It's part of the experience. Yeah. And and there have been times I really like it. Uh, You know, I've mentioned in the past, uh, Chirac, Do the Right Thing, I think does a really great job of being abstract and really taking advantage of those things. And then there's other examples where... It's not really my cup of tea, but I, I'm I'm really on the the Martin train right now. So. Yeah, but you know, but even like the so so let's jump on to the what you're talking about with the pictures, where it's like it'll show you a still frame of a subject that they're just talking about, or like I I know I first saw it and I first noticed it in um, she's got to have it the TV show. That's where I first noticed it. I don't know if it came before that, um, but even I can't that, think of a time that it did. Me either. But like, even in that, like, I sort of, I understand that there's, I understand it a lot more specifically here, right? Because there's, you know, there's points of, there's points of things that like, I don't think collectively people know as an experience, you know, like Crispus Attucks, you know, I don't think people know that story. So to, to, to spout off a story like that, it can sound like, um, 
Greek mythology. But then when you show a picture and you show pictorial, you know, pictorial representations of this, it thing, makes it real. Now it's real. So I, I kind of chalked those things up to that, which made me appreciate it. even the the 18 year old kid they talked about that jumped on the grenade. Like that's a story I didn't even know about. You know, so I got to say that I do appreciate I appreciated that touch of spike. So in in that moment, in that moment, I wasn't bothered by the picture of the kid on the grenade. But when he was like, like Aretha said, you better think about it. And I was like, I don't I don't need a picture of Aretha. I know what she looks like. (laughs) Right, right, (laughs) right. So I was just kind of like, oh, okay, we're doing this right here. Okay, cool. Yeah, Um, I I agree with you there. And they were really back to back. Um, but to your point, um, your brain does this thing where it can imagine things that it hasn't seen because it can piece together other memories. Um, uh, just, uh, what's the, the show that Michaela Cole has out? Um, I may destroy you. She says like, you know, you can imagine a dolphin with a ball on his nose, but you probably have never, ever seen that in your life for real. Mm. Um, you know, there are things that we can imagine because we have pieces of it, um, in our brains. And if you don't have any imagery of a Christmas addicts or, you know, the, the young man that jumped on the grenade, then I, I do think the visuals, kind of help also the thing with muhammad ali at the beginning um you know i've seen that floating around the internet a million times but i don't know that i had ever heard that quote in context right um so i have an appreciation for that as well so it does do something for your brain whether you appreciate it or not mm-hmm. i agree you know what and staying on that real quick and but jumping off the movie um Twitter is doing something now that I or not. It's not Twitter. You know, the people of Twitter where we're they're giving us non black and white pictures of like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Angela Davis, um, just to sort of reiterate that it wasn't this long. It wasn't that long ago in history that we think that these things took place. And I didn't I never realized how much I needed that. Like, it, like seeing things in black and white absolutely makes you feel like it happened so far before your lifetime that, it, you know, it it doesn't affect you. But you nah, can't imagine it, it in color because you've never seen it. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah. 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 I just wanted to jump on that and say that. So th- so so that was. Yeah, that was. Uh, thank hey. you for reminding me about the 180 because that. that hey, how how y'all feel about the MAGA hat? Hilarious. Which, which one? The Delroy's or it, the. um. It's the, the same hat. It's a, it's only one MAGA hat. <laughs> no, I meant like two characters wore the hat. Well, three Did characters they? wore the hat. Three characters wore the hat? Okay. Well, what it's almost think? like, if you want to think about it, guys, the hat is almost like a character in the movie itself. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There was a there was a third hat. Okay. Didn't think about that. Um, I, It's a bit heavy-handed, but I guess at this point in time, you know... um. If you're going to say fuck Donald Trump, you got to say it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. And- can, can I ask a question sort of going off of what Corey just said? Mm-hmm. Heavy-handed is a phrase I found myself using a lot when I talked about this on Act 3. Um, yeah. And it's a phrase that was used a lot when we did our Spike Lee uh, yeah. episode. Right. right. And, I, and I'm familiar <laughs> that that is, I know from you know observing various discussions and reading media i know that that's something that gets leveled against spike a lot mm-hmm. i certainly think it's applicable to this film um i don't think it's as applicable to black klansman which is maybe why i liked that movie um i don't know i've only look i'm very not versed in the whole thing but what i wanted Are those what the i'm only, trying to the get only at, two that you've seen that's correct and i'm not okay. proud to say it i'm humiliated right 
I'm humili- I come stand to stand humbly before you and say I haven't lay haven't prostrate, seen. brother. It's all good. <laughs> They're but still here. I felt like my issue with this movie because I love the whole thing on paper. I love mm-hmm. the pitch. I love the vision. I like the performances for the most part. But I disagreed, and I, I'm not a filmmaker. Let me say that I have, but I have a strong instinct for what I do and don't like, and I try my best to support it. Okay. Right. And I felt like I disagreed with every technical directorial choice that was made here. Like, I think almost every scene goes on for, like, much longer than I'm comfortable with. Like, I felt like every scene, like, communicates its theme, right? And then I'm ready for the scene to cut away. And then, hmm. like, it goes on for another minute and a half. Like, I think specifically when they're um finding the gold on the side of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there's a score playing. Terrence Blanchard uh, does the score. Uh, right. He was uh, Oscar nominated for Black Klansman. I think his. I'm, I'm not a fan of his work in the, in this film. I just didn't like it. I felt like it was extremely broad, almost to the point of parody. Um, wow. Because okay. it, it to me it felt like this is oh this is like what a war movie sounds like right so like I'll just do exactly what like every war movie sounds like and then you you have a scene that feels like it's five minutes long where they keep moving, you know, two feet down the hill and find another bar of gold and the orchestra is just, you know, playing this crescendoing, you know, fortissimo uh, uh, aria, you know, and it's just, it's too much. It was just too much for me. And um, it really gave, it put a distance between me and the film because I just felt like, it felt like a rough cut. Like it felt like I was seeing the work print of the film and that, I was like, I just wanted to cut the whole thing down. I think you could lose an easy 30 from this movie, and a, a two-hour version of it would be much more digestible. I also think um, the white characters in the film serve almost no purpose, um, and the scenes that they're in seem really written in a way that just it lacked all subtlety, and, and I wasn't... Even though it was extremely um, upfront about what the purpose was of those scenes, I just felt like, do I need that in the movie? I, me as a viewer, I did not. Um, um, and I, I could go on and on, but I, it's, it's, it's a lot of things like that. I just felt like it was awkward. Like it was, it felt unrefined to me. Um, mm. And even, you know, this film is shot, and I'm sorry, Lizzie, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> this film is shot by um, Tom Siegel, Newton Thomas Siegel. This is a legendary cinematographer. And I don't think the movie looks good. I, d- I didn't like the look of it. Um, I love the choice to shoot the flashbacks on 16. I like the different aspect ratios for the most part. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I wasn't a fan of, especially in the flashbacks, I didn't like where they placed the camera. I think they're going for a documentary style because I was like the first war that you know was shot um, on film by people um, on the battlefield. And that's a, a, we know that aesthetic, right? But I just, it removed me from the language of the film. And um, I love this, the big, large Vista cinematography. We go to a 16 by 9-ish aspect ratio, you know, when they get to Vietnam. And you can, it's these incredibly wide lenses that can shoot everything in focus all the way to the deep background. And it looks amazing. But then it's like during dialogue scenes, I'm like, I, why did you choose this angle? You know, it just, it, it never felt like the best way to tell the story. And maybe that's just because it's not the way I would have told the story. And maybe right. this is a way I need to grow as a film viewer. But anyway, that is the, the summation of my thoughts about the movie. They're mostly negative because it just didn't feel right to me. Lizzie, I'm sorry I interrupted you. You didn't interrupt me. I was, I was trying to 
to uh, piggyback off of what you said. Um, so I do, I do agree that it's uncomfortable in some scenes with the length of how long they last. Um, however, with the exception of the scene that you were just talking about where they're finding the goal, I did feel like that lasted a little longer than I needed it to, to move the story forward. But in the other scenes where I felt like some things uh, lasted longer than they need to, I think that that is purposeful to make you uncomfortable. I don't, mm. I, so I, it makes me uncomfortable because I'm like, oh, wow, I'm looking at this for too long and it's uncomfortable. I don't think that that's an accident. Um, I don't think it's sloppiness. I think that it's meant to evoke that feeling in you. Like, I mean, perhaps, but I, I just, I'm aware that that's a choice that some filmmakers make. And I'm usually, I think I, that's something I'd recognize. Whereas here it felt like it was a lack of storytelling economy. Maybe perhaps, uh, you know, not following the kill your darlings rule, you know, where it's like if you fell in love with a scene or a performance that Delroy gave, that doesn't mean you need to leave like the whole take in there. And I'm not referring to like the monologue to camera that Delroy gives, which is amazing. Right. I think that it is that's perfect. the best. That's the best portion yeah. of the movie. In it's my a, for me, it's it's that scene. And I love the scene where they find out about um Martin Luther King Jr. being killed. That was that was great yeah. too. Oh, okay. That so backing grand. up. So yeah. that so this movie gave me lots of like Miracle at St. Anna feels, right? And we know mm -hmm. that I don't like the ice lop scene in Miracle at St. Anna. I thought it was completely unnecessary. Right. Um <clears throat> I understand the point of it, but it kind of takes you out of story to like, you know, wag a finger. Mm -hmm. Whereas this I thought was perfect um placement of a black experience. And, um, you know, you're fighting for your country and then white people are still against you. Uh, very quite literally, like not trusting your ability to be a patriot and you, and like wanting to like be violent and then saying, you know what, that's not going to solve anything for the greater good. So I thought that was like, especially now um, was everything that we're experiencing. And, you know, there's no way he could have predicted our current state of affairs um, by any means. But like, I thought that that was like, it was brilliantly executed in a way that like, it, I didn't love the way that it was done before, and I love the way that it was done here. Even with the addition of Hanoi Hannah, um, that is that is something he also did in uh, Miracle at Saint Anna. So it gave me some of the same feels. Um, I encourage you actually to watch that movie, Chandler. Yes. Um, right. Terrence Blanchard also scored that one, and I'm I'm curious if you have some of the same feels like walking away from it. Yeah, and and yeah, Terrence Blanchard pretty much. I mean, I think everything after. I want to say Malcolm X um, has pretty much been Terrence Blanchard, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, his scores, they're very like they're very rich. Mm -hmm. um, I think they have a lot of life. It seems almost like they really. And, and this is probably a process with most composers. So I'm I'm, I'm probably going to sound ignorant in saying that it's something signature to him. But they um he, he really does a lot of emphasis on characters, I think, like um characters have their own sort of score, have their own personality that he brings. That's a thing John Williams does too. Okay. See, I knew I was going to sound ignorant saying that. I, I don't no, know you much don't about sound the, ignorant. <laughs> I, 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 to be honest, I don't know much about the composition world, but I always know that like Spike scores, they just have this, they have they this have richness feel, to them. Yeah. yeah, they have a real feel to them. Um, I, you know, I didn't find them, I didn't find them distracting here. I think there was some, I didn't either. There were some, there were some things that were, um, 
it sound like traditional war standards, like you said, you know, the things that maybe we've seen the in the snare drum. Yeah. Or, yeah. Something like that. Um, but outside of that, man, I, you know, I, I felt like the, the composition of it, 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 it did a service to it. Um, the, my biggest disservice and, you know, we do talk about heavy handed and to me, I found that like going back on spike films, you know, the ones that have been like 20, 30 years later and looking at them, the heavy handedness sort of, uh, it it loses that same overwhelming feel when you first see it because it's like now the history sort of settled and these things have been dealt with and we're kind of past some of these asterisks. Not, I'm not past them, but like we've dealt with them as a country, as a whole, it doesn't feel so heavy handed. It feels like it starts feeling like he's archiving a, a, a time of history, right? Like it, you almost start looking at it like, yeah, damn, it's important that he stayed on it that long now looking back at it because that really was a thing that I wasn't tapped into in the moment. Um, and, and I do feel like he operates on a certain wavelength. I, I feel like his awareness about who people are and who he is specifically and the commute in his community. I think he has like a very, uh, like an amazingly aware finger on, on, on the pulse, right? Like he knows how the people feel. He knows he, that's I guess that's the best I can say about that. He knows how the people feel, but where my where my disconnect comes in is I can always tell what he's written in terms of dialogue. The, like mm-hmm. the dialogue to convey that doesn't always slap to me. You know what I'm saying? Like it it, it gets it, it's not heavy handed, but it's kind of like um, damn. I wish you were a little bit more nuanced about how the character said it, but still give the same recount right. you know give the same feeling you know what i'm saying that that becomes more my biggest thing like and you know even what you're talking about with the cinematography you'd really have to point out the scenes because i didn't feel it i i'm i'm with you because i i remember saying i was excited about the cinematography from the trailer because yeah. i had looked up i had looked up the so cinematographer and i i don't know i i this i didn't love the cinematography but i didn't hate it either it didn't it didn't blow me away like the trailer did I guess maybe the trailer did exactly what it was supposed to do. So, well, I know Corey, I know Corey, you hit me a few times about like the changing of the aspect ratios. You weren't a fan of that. Man, I'm going to be honest. I don't (laughs) like changing aspect ratios on anything. And do you like it when the letterboxing literally animates into the aspect ratio? (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I'm super biased. This is not even a spike thing. I I don't like So, you're upset with David Fincher for it too? Yes. I didn't okay. like it. I didn't like it in Westworld. I did not like it on well, um, Westworld. It really overdoes Home, it. Man. I didn't. I didn't like it in Westworld. I didn't like it in Homecoming. Uh, I. I just don't like the changing of the aspect ratio. It's very strange to me. And I maybe I. I don't know. I. I don't got anything. It's very weird to me. I don't like it. Did am I the only person who thought that Eddie blowing up on the landmine was? Um, it was very reminiscent it was of contrived. Yeah, but <laughs> also it's like exactly that scene from Tropic Thunder with Ben Stiller and the blown up arms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about that till you pointed it out. Though. It. I mean, I first off when it happened, and then we cut to a very bad practical uh, application <laughs> of this fake body with nubs for arms and legs. It's ridiculous. And you know what? The the actually the makeup on his face looked really really good because yeah. I watched it again. Um, okay. The makeup on his face, Jesus Christ! <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the makeup on his face looked really good. The thing that made the practical effect 
look bad to me was the way the way that the blood was coming out. More, more so. Yeah, it looks like a, it looks <laughs> like an exploitation movie. It's it's literally like parody. In fact, you might say that Tropic Thunder had more subtle and realistic applications of what it's like to lose a limb in war, which is crazy. <laughs> and it looked like he didn't lose. He lost like from like nipples down it looked like nipples down like, like he was just gone and i i, I told Bro, him how, that, how he how wasn't he able dead to on impact was crazy to me oh i don't know and then he's dead and you're supposed to you're be like talking, really upset and then they cut right away to uh you know the son character uh who had stepped on the land and then it's like ah oh, like well that. eddie's dead you know yeah. god you hate to see it you know I, you yeah, know what, I, I mean, I came back to it. And we're like, we need to bury him. But, for like a um, second. There's, there's a lot of scenes with Eddie where I thought he was going to get shot or die or mm. he would just have these monologues. And in the middle, I'm just waiting for somebody to like kill him for some reason. Oh, I Damn. definitely knew he was going to step on the landmine. But I think it, it's the the ethic, having him being shot from overhead and seeing that he's walking backwards. Like, I actually would have had him like walk closer and then walk back walk closer and then walk back so that when he, you understand what I'm saying? Like, so yeah. that it wasn't so obvious that he wasn't paying attention. Um, yeah. I thought he was just going to get shot, but no, I didn't think he was going to get yeah. shot. I knew he was going to step on a landmine. Oh. I knew he was going to, but it was because yeah. he was walking, you know, and, and he kept the way that he was walking backwards. Didn't make sense in the moment, but you know, that's a blocking thing. Like, but it's not what I would have done, but you know, Nobody's paying me to make them. Which blood squirts <laughs> look better, um, the five bloods or uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail? I'm not fucking with you. Today. No, <laughs> I, I, I didn't see Monty Python. Go fuck yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> so real quick, because you know, for me, I thought that was a really dope plot point. I, I even though it 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 was like a lot of foreshadowing with that conversation that he had and the whole like um, you know. What, what was it? Lamb, love, love against love against something in bombs. Yeah, something like that. Um, um. So I kind of knew that was going to be an element, but after that conversation, but the the whole ideology of that, I thought that was brilliant, man. Of like landmines still lingering. That's something you don't think about. It was and, love against mines and bombs. There it is. Um, I just remember Lamb. Yeah. So so you know that actually prompted me to uh, I, you know after seeing that and then really thinking about that I was like man I wonder is that a thing like if you go to film in Vietnam you're filming in the jungles where these the, you know the battles have happened wars have happened do you have to sweep this place before you like are you putting your whole crew at risk of you know blowing up from an old landmine like is that a real thing so um you know obviously I had to flex the little bit of access that I have to spike and I had to ask him about that because I you know that became a real concern to me um, and I specifically asked him, you know, did, did y'all have to do extensive mind sweeping in the jungle area where they filmed, you know, those scenes? And he says, uh, you know, he said no minds were, were where they filmed, which I don't know if that means, you know, code word for, I didn't think about it and I didn't give a fuck and we just kind of <laughs> did, or, um, uh, if that was, if that's something that has been surveyed before and it's kind of like public knowledge to anybody who comes there, you know? I don't know if they kind of inspect it like they do elevators, like every five years, you know, they go, they go out and inspect new, new territory. I don't know how that works, but that just opened my mind up to a whole bunch of questions, man, of like, is that really a thing like landmines and uh, that haven't been detonated really being there still 50 years later, 60 years later? 
So you know what I'm actually interested in also? Um, that character, her last name was Bouvier. Bouvier is a real family. That's uh, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis was a mm-hmm. Bouvier. And I'm very curious if they made money off the war. Um, that's something I'd have to like look up. But mm. very interested in that. Yeah. Man, what I... Crazy. What I didn't understand is um she uh she's rich, right? Like her family is rich. So no, why did Bouviers she want the Bouviers are a very rich family. They're they're Bouviers in America and they're Bouviers in France. Yeah, so why did she want a cut of the um, one in a million dollars if she's already rich? Cuz white people want to get money, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I I figured she was like a multi like probably almost a billionaire from Was oh, that established know. in the dialogue or are you just making that assumption? Well, Oh, I well, just she know comes she from was a family rich. that, that yeah. got rich off the war. She okay. says that. Okay, okay. I, I get what you're saying. So, right. So, was she... I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's a good question, too. That's a really good question. Man, Yo, Treasy. I hate you, Chandler. Yo, I hate you, Chandler. Yo, Treasy, you know how <laughs> when we're on our sets, we always go waiting on XYZ? Yeah. You know, can you imagine being like, waiting on a mind sweep? Yo, man, yeah, man. <laughs> mind sweep, yo. Yeah, Wait, nah. I just... We gotta remind. I gotta remind y'all. This is an audio format. So, can you explain why you hate me? Oh yeah. So oh. I hate Chandler because all we're on Skype, and all of a sudden this like mass chat comes. It says, you know, the uh, picture from Chandler Nunnally, and it's a picture of the scene that he's talking about with Ben Stiller and uh, <laughs> blackface, blackface Robert Downey Jr. Uh, after he gets blown up by the, by the mind. So that's why I hate you, bro. You're you're the worst. All right, cool. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Just wanted to get that out there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Uh, what other plot points, man? Were or, or what other things do we want to talk about that like uh, troubled or that we did you guys like Jean Reno in the movie? Um, I don't like him in general, personally. You don't um, like you don't... Uh, Godzilla? Yeah, I like Godzilla. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, <laughs> all right, Martin. Yeah, blow me away. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the, the professional is probably like the biggest, the most I've seen of him. And, um, and I wasn't really a fan of the professional and I, wow. I don't know if that was the acting or the directing. I'm not a Luke Basson guy, you know, man, I still, whenever I have to water a plant, hold the leaf the same way Jean Reno, like held the plant and you had any like stroke the leaf and shit. <laughs> That's how you work. Yeah. You stroke gotta, the leaf. You gotta stroke That's the leaf. Thing? Yep. Gotcha. <laughs> there's some archetypal symbolism in there somewhere. You said there's a what? There's some archetypal symbolism in there somewhere. Yeah. Funny guy. Also a man. sex joke. Yeah. yeah that, <laughs> no. I got it's hard for guys to laugh at sex jokes, by the way. Just just not the climate. Um <laughs> <laughs> So uh, is this is there is there any Oscar worthiness here? with this film oh i definitely think so i mean the critical reception has been incredibly positive i went into this conversation with you guys knowing i'd probably be the odd man out um but typically when critics love 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 a movie like this um it's going to show up again when we get to the critics awards next year Mm -hmm. right um i think that a best picture nomination especially since they've locked in that we're going to have 10 Right, there's there's not anywhere between five and ten is what it has been for the past few years, but now it's ten, a hundred percent. So I think this film has a good shot. I think that Delroy Lindo has a good shot at best actor, Um, and I wouldn't write off screenplay or director for Spike either. Wow, I'm I'm really a big advocate of Delroy. Um, The scene where he apologizes to to Storm and Norman, oh yeah, I I thought that was an amazing scene. scene. 
I thought that was that was some some really solid acting on his part and and some really beautiful imagery too. Um, I, I plot point. I, I don't know if I talked about it, but I didn't catch entirely why Storm and Norman was so awesome to them, in my opinion. But at the end of the day, I felt the pain of having to you know to apologize to your dead friend, you know. But I, I, th- that scene was a very amazing scene. That he shot. I think that was yeah. the whole thing is that he killed him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's a good question. Like in terms of what made Storm and Norman that guy to him, and, and I think, um, it, you know, it was kind of put in, you know, the way that they were describing how he was, um, so to me, like what happened with the whole when Martin Luther King, uh, got killed, that whole scene afterwards, that sort of solidified it for me the importance of him. That you know, they kind of talked about how. He talked about black history and introduced him to black history before it was sort of a popular thing to do. Uh, He just seemed like he was somebody that was very aware of his community, very aware of the people that he comes from. And um, and then, you know, still patriotic, you know, patriotic um, and then just very aware of um, his his leadership, very aware of where he sits on the hierarchy of leadership in terms of like being there for your brothers and allowing them to, you know, us moving as a unit, us doing these, doing these things as a unit, but still using, you know, in the words of, uh, uh, Marshawn Lynch, you know, using our mentals, you know what I'm saying? And, and taking care of your chicken, taking care of your bodies. You know, it seems like he was just a very big advocate for like knowledge of self. Um, and you know, what to, you know, what to do with our money, what to do with our emotions, um, just kind of like that person that you want in your corner when things start hitting the wall. And and I really liked that scene, the whole Martin Luther King scene, uh, and and what he said in the dialogue, which is like, um, you know, we can't allow them to heart, we can't allow them to use our what was the word he used? Um, our rage. You know what I'm saying? We can't let the we we can't let them dictate how we use our rage. That's the power that we have. You know what I'm saying? And I find myself kind of like, um, I, I in today's climate, kind of like what's happening, uh, you know, you'll get on social media and you'll get enraged. And then at a certain point for me, I start feeling like, yo, I, this is, this gotta be orchestrated, bro. Cause I'm not even this type of person to be getting like, just like clinically fucking pissed about what's happening in the world. And then I I retract myself because when I start thinking a little bit more intellectually about the problems that are happening and what I can do to solve them, you know what I'm saying? Then I get a little bit more productive. And I think that's what Storm and Norman represented. It's like, we're out here in this war. We're, we're fighting for the red, white, and the blue. And, you know, we're getting these, we're getting these images, you know, even down to like the, um, uh, even though I, I, it's like I didn't like them, but I understood why they sat there with the Vietnamese um, sort of disc jockey lady when she was like, you know, this goes out to, you know, Annoy the, Hannah. Mm-hmm. There you go. So that I was a real thing. Her. That okay. So like the whole just like I, um, I can't in the in Miracle at Saint Anna where it's the German woman. I don't remember her name, but that that there those are both real things. Those those things are happen. real things. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and 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 I I I like that because she kind of broke it down, right? It's like you know you guys make up, uh, you know, twelve percent of America, eleven percent of the population, yeah, eleven percent of the of, of the soldiers out here. Right. Like think about that. Right. Like you're being used. They're 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 using. You, you know your poverty or they're using the systematic they're using the system 
to enrage you and then they discard you over here to fight a war that really doesn't matter to you when you go home. You know what I'm saying? And then and then you get inundated about what's happening to your black leaders while you're here from back home. And that's going to put you in a very compromising situation if you're not using your mentals. You know what I mean? So having somebody like a Storm and Norman that that tells you like, nah, you know, you know, peek behind the curtain of what's actually happening. That's a certain type of strength. Like, like, like if there's anybody that's like that in your life, you're going to you're going to cling to them because they represent something that you don't have access to until they give you that power to have that access. And then it kind of flips the way you look at the world in a sense, you know, um, and and, that, and that's my interpretation of what Storm and Norma. I know that was like a long way to get there to the. Uh, that's know, all good. I, could use the I think HOV eloquently lane. put. I wanted I to so. I wanted to mention I thought it was interesting. I don't know how Chandler Martin feel. I loved the flashbacks without younger actors and Lizzie and Treasy, you guys were a little anti. I actually thought that was a a very nice creative touch. I think it's a great way to avoid budget inflation. And then I also think (laughs) I'm not sitting there saying they didn't do it to to cheat the budget a little bit, but No, no, no. but all I'm I'm not being ironic or joking. I'm serious. I think that that's an an advantage of like you know how what's a way we can make this less expensive and also serve the story i think cuz it's it's very much communicating that these guys are even in their current age right they're still reliving this like it was yesterday mm-hmm. and also exactly. there's sort of a uh, impressionistic quality to all the flashback scenes um they don't feel uh rooted in reality as the same way the rest of the film does. And I think it's sort of like a bunch of old guys reliving the glory days, you know? Yeah. I, I, I kind of got that vibe. Cause you know, like storm and Norman doesn't age. Cause obviously he, he is not able to, you know, mm-hmm. I think there's <laughs> definitely a state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a statement about that, like how reliving the past or how, you know, your present self never got to move past these events. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's, I think there's a lot of creative, um, messaging in that and i actually really liked it uh i thought it was a i thought it was a nice touch only thing i would have i i I would have mentioned is that i felt like some of the actors and their their handling of weapons um i felt like maybe they skipped hollywood boot camp maybe but um you know other than that you know and maybe that's a play on the fact that you know during this time a lot of young people went to war with you know six months of boot camp at best you know so i mean Maybe that was intentional in that regard, but um, I, I actually enjoyed it. I actually thought that that aspect creatively was was a nice touch. Yeah, yeah. you know what's crazy? Oh, go ahead, Martin. Yeah, I, I guess I liked it too. It's like Chandler, you were talking about your grandfather. Um, my grandfather fought in Korea, and when he talked to me about it, I guess he never really talked to anybody in the family about it, not even his wife. So, like a couple years before he died, he talked to me about it, and when he talked about it. He talked about it like how like a 20 year old would talk about it. Like he was talking Mm. about women and drugs and seeing his friend like murdered next to him. And I just knew there was certain stuff like he would always take a lot of showers. Like he never ate fish like since he left there. So there's certain stuff that like just stays with him. Like even though he's like an adult, he's like in his 80s or whatever. He's still like certain parts of his mind like still stayed back there and. It, and certain stuff like followed him so I, I i definitely thought that was like a nice touch to say there's still these people from back then like they can wow. still revert to that 
state that they were in back then. Right. Yeah. And I then, mean, I didn't, oh, to your point, I didn't hate it though. Um, uh, it just was disorienting. And, you know, I've had some time to sit with it and all of you guys' points are valid. I'm not as mm-hmm. mad of it when you at it and when you think of it as like Same. it's something that they're currently reliving. Same. I just was thrown off. Um, they did de-age them a little bit, like with hair color and stuff. Um, the loss of facial hair, but like how do you remember yourself inside your head? Do you remember yourself as um, you know, when you're when you have memories from your childhood, you don't remember your childhood body. You kind of remember your consciousness that you have right now. So I right. I get it. I yeah. get it. I, I, I didn't just, even... look me who's all into symbolism didn't get it off the rip. So, but I get it now. <laughs> yeah, I actually hearing you guys. And thank you for that, Corey, because hearing you guys explain it that way, um, it it brings me on board with it a little bit more. I you know it was disorienting for me as well. And then, but then I started thinking maybe it was more for identification purposes. Cause mm-hmm. if you I think that in, it functions that way too. Yeah. If you would bring in some younger actors, now you got to figure Now you got to rely on these qualities that maybe you didn't pay attention to before going into this to figure out how this story is unraveling. It totally um, eliminates. You don't have to play a, uh, you know, whatever the card game is memory or, you know, you don't have to like match yeah. up like younger to older. You don't exactly. have to gain the the familiarity with the younger actors because you know even if it's the same character, a different actor, you're starting from scratch. That's a whole yes. other thing you have to build as a director and as a writer. So I thought it was just it was great shorthand to show flashbacks without um, a lot of the shortcomings that come with that narrative device. Right, right. I mean, so at that- the same time, it would have been kind of cool to see if they did like a it type of thing where they cast like some young black actors. Um. To yeah. fill those roles, to, that would have been kind of cool to see that. Nah, movie. yeah, I yeah. think, man, they should have gone full de-age and just de-age all, all four of those guys. <laughs> they should, they should use the same technology Scorsese used. Yeah, just go Irish all in. <laughs> yeah. there, there was a little bit of de-aging in the photo, but well, the yeah, photo, yeah, yeah. And the photo didn't even look good for just being a still, man. I liked <laughs> it without the de. Like I, I thought it looked great. That's that's my take on. It. Yeah. No, again, man, hearing you guys explain it, um, um, it, it really gives me a different perspective on it. Um, and I have more appreciation for that artistic merit. Like, is there anything else in there, Corey, that that you kind of like that you like? Because this is this is an interesting perspective to actually hear things that you actually like. I mean, because I, I, I thank you. Uh, appreciate that. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm I, spite me and Spike have had a turbulent turbulent uh history and um you know i think once uh, once i finally got onto the martin train and realized that there's just certain things that he's gonna do that I, I i'm just not a fan of and and after the original podcast that we did you know i did watch a ton of spike lee films right. and you know there's still some things i love and and not not love but i mean i can say that about a lot of directors i think finally trying to really analyze what spike is trying to accomplish with his films i have a a a, a better appreciation i still like him when he goes more abstract i think that he's a, a stronger filmmaker in that regard mm-hmm. um but in in regards to this film i i i didn't love it i didn't hate it you know i i there, there definitely have been some films that i really didn't like of his and 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 this isn't one of them. It has its problems, but you know, it, it kind of well, is what it is. So, in terms of like his filmography, like where, where, what tier would you rank this in? 
I'd and, put it in the. He's I, got a lot of film, so it's hard. Yeah, to Yeah, he's got a lot. Of, I, I, I'd put it in the middle. There's like a middle section that you know has this kind of you know it's it's heavy handed, but the structure is still kind of there. I mean, there's there's been some films that just they've they've been all over the place. They're they're disjointed, and and this film to me at least had its it had its point A to point Z, you know, and how you got there whether you like it or not is really up to you. But, you know, I think I kind of understand or see the perspective a little bit better now and understanding that, you know, this guy does what he wants. <laughs> so, yeah. and I still think his documentary work is way better, but you know, that's a whole nother topic. Thank you guys for allowing me to kind of work through my thoughts. Cause this was a tough one for me. I know you guys like the movie more than I did um, for the most part. And and I was really let down by not liking this movie. Like, I was sad that I didn't like it. Um, but hearing all the things that you guys have said in support of the movie, like, I, I agree with you. I think your opinions are well supported, and I think the evidence is there on screen. It's just an issue that, for me, it didn't land, you know? Yeah, I, I would say definitely, man. You, you getting a little bit more familiar with this catalog, you'll probably come, you'll probably at least come to um better closure with some of the decisions that he's made because you realize that it's consistent you know that's the you know he's he's a very consistent filmmaker in terms of the vehicles that he uses to tell his stories Mm -hmm. um so so if anything just you getting more uh, a better understanding of his full filmography will you'll have more appreciation for him standing his ground you know no pun intended thank Um, you dad i'll do that right i'll get right on that you're an (laughs) asshole definitely watch miracle of saint anna though bro yeah do that Uh, i will do that and you should you you would probably enjoy inside man also always wanted 25th hour yeah yeah 25th hour that's what do the right thing is free to rent this month related also say that again miracle at saint anna and um Inside Man have like a relationship. They're in the same universe. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, well, we're gonna lose Chandler for right now. Um, I mean, this conversation ain't gonna ain't gonna go too much longer. But love you guys. Yeah, man. Be safe, man. Tell uh, tell you know the missus we said what's up. And, oh yeah, uh, absolutely. I gotta get home and, and make up some excuse. So uh, I'll uh, I'll get right on that. See you guys later. Next cool. time. Peace, man. Um, All right. Corey, man, it is actually uh reaffirming to it's really cool to hear you stand on the side of justice here this conversation well i mean you know if if you go back and listen to the to the to the previous i'm giving you crap bro yeah thank you i i appreciate that um um uh so i mean it's like i feel like we talked about a lot but then i also feel like we didn't talk about much we didn't really touch on like ptsd with this thing um, which is obviously a commentary that was going on here. I don't know how heavy of a commentary it was, but obviously um, Delroy's character dealt a lot with the realm of PTSD. Is there anything else to explore in that in that vein there? Um, I think you can kind of see him ramping up to the, the kind of breakdown he kind of has at the end as well. Um, and I thought it was it was very realistic that you could see like, you know, I think these normally you see like portrayals of PTSD on screen. I think about like Brothers, that movie with Jake Gyllenhaal and Tommy McGuire, and it's like very over the top in terms of like how this person behaves. He comes back and he's immediately creepy. Whereas what you more realistically would experience is someone like Adele Roy, they're still themselves. They just get triggered. Right. Um, 
So I, I, I like the execution of the commentary on PTSD. I thought that he did that very well and this, and with the subtlety that it deserves to drive home what you might actually be witnessing when you see people react and recoil in certain situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree there. Um, then we, we touched a little bit on like opioid addiction and the thing when, you know, he had the Oxycontin pills, uh, Clark, Clark, uh, Peter's character had the Oxycontin. Otis. Pills. Otis. Yeah. I'm sorry. I keep messing up these I'm saying their real names. Um, we kind of touched on that, which there's, you know, so many theories about that being part of the reason why we were even in Vietnam was, you know, opiates, um, you know, that sort of stuff, man. There, there was a line in the film where they taught where, and I can't remember who said it, but they said, you know, money is about war and war is about money. It, and I, and I can, I'm completely paraphrasing. Um, and talking out of context, but, you know, just trying to unpack that, man. I mean, obviously it's a, uh, oh, Storm and Norman was saying that when he was talking about, you know, you, you, you see just, you see exactly how much value you have, you know, when uh, a cop being able to pull a Chandler instead of going home is sending more messages on Skype and he's killing me. <laughs> um, uh, you know, when a cop pulls a gun in your face, you know, in your own neighborhood or whatever the case may be, you see exactly what your worth is, you know, and that's a, and, and, you know, that's considered war, you know, that's, that's civil war on your own turf. And, uh, you just kind of know your value in the, in, in the place of capitalism in those spaces. And I really found that, that quote to be very interesting, man. War is about money and money is about war. Um, Martin, man, is there anything else you want to chime in on? I feel like we haven't heard much from you here. Um, I, I, I guess if I, um, if I could sum up the movie, I always say I've never seen like a bad Game of Thrones episode. And the reason I know a lot of people hate certain episodes of Game of Thrones, but the reason is if they give me 10 minutes of something I love, then it's like a good episode to me. And hmm. I kind of, I'm starting to feel that way with Spike Lee movies where if there's like 20 30 minutes of some stuff that really made me stop and think and be introspective or really try to put myself in people's shoes really make me empathize with the characters or give me a message then like i'm i'm just cool with that like that's all i really need from a spike lee movie yeah that that's pretty much how i feel and and as a movie i i definitely think i didn't love it but i'm i'm kind of to the point where i, I enjoyed it uh, I think there was like a lot of unintentional comedy in it to me too. Yeah, like th- there's certain there's certain scenes I know I wasn't supposed to laugh at, but I was laughing <laughs> that you laughed at regardless. Yeah, yeah. You, you know I wonder do we like when we talk about Spike, everybody knows he has a message, but like are like I'm I'm with this movie especially like I'm grading more for me I'm grading more on the entertainment value than I am the actual message, right? Like do is there do we unfairly grade or not unfairly but like do is the scale different for him like do we look at the delivery of the message more than we look at the entertainment of the film or is it kind of like all in one i think it's different for him huh i I don't i don't know if another director i don't want to say that could get away with the stuff that he gets away with but it's hard to think of another director that can do what he does. Like if Spike did like an episode of Seinfeld, but it was like just Spike Lee's style, I don't, it wouldn't work. Cause I mean, you couldn't do a show about nothing 
Like, Spike, you need that message behind whatever he's doing or it falls apart to me. Right. And it, but like, is that is that unfair to 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 grade him on that? Like, I guess is what I'm trying to say is like we don't give him a latitude that we give other people. I think that's perfect what you just said. Seinfeld, I'm, right? It's well, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying like I stopped grading him after like she's got to have it. I just put everything in a box and put it in the corner and try not to think about it. Yeah. And, and I think. That's been one of my issues with Spike over the years is that there are films where it's message over character, and then there's some films where characters do get to shine a little bit. And I guess I've I've judged Spike from my love of characters and, and what I feel that cinema is. And there have been examples where I love the message that Spike is trying to do, but sometimes I'm like, well, was that at the expense of the characters? Was that at the expense of the movie-going experience? And I've struggled mm-hmm. with that probably his whole, his entire, you know, filmography is that what's more important, the message or the or the characters, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's in, it's up to everybody to have their own opinion. And it's kind of the foundation of why I like him when he goes more abstract, because that allows the message and the character to become... I think kind of one and they can, mm. the, the character can be abstract and the message can help support that. But when he tries to make a movie that's very linear and very normal, and then you throw in all these things, these message points, they start to feel very heavy handed and very forced. And then you, you kind of break out of the moment that you're having with the character. Yeah. Um, what the last one, when we, uh, black Klansman, when the, the detective and the sergeant are in the basement and he had the Trump conversation, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. That was clearly written by Spike Lee to be thrown in there. And you mentioned it earlier about how it doesn't even sound like that's something the character would say, you know, you know, and so that's been one of my gripes with it. I wish there was a finer balance between that, but I'm, I'm starting to really be like Martin and be like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know what yeah. you're signing up for, so you just go with it. Yeah, you know, I, I, this is this guy's been doing this for 25 years. I guess I should just get over it. You know? uh, longer than that, I definitely, yeah. Okay, I, definitely, I was I threw a number out, all right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, man, he, it was 36 years. It was 36 you years, message, white bro. man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And even and even I'm probably off with them numbers too. Yeah. So, but um, definitely more than 25. Um, all right, then. Well, uh, I think that's a pretty about as comprehensive as kind of movie critics get in terms of looking at films, breaking it down. Um, you know, I gave you the socials, but I'll give them to you again. Kind of movie critics on Instagram and kind of movie critics on Facebook. Kind of movie crits, C-R-I-T-S on Twitter. Uh, open up your app and hit us up with a review if you're listening like on, uh, you know, iTunes or excuse me, Apple podcast or SoundCloud, any of those platforms that allow you to do reviews, man. Throw us a bone, man. Tell us what you think. Give us some of your feedback, maybe specifically on this episode or just on the uh, our, our series as a whole, man. And if you haven't heard, like our we did a whole Spike uh, filmography collection early on in the, the podcast uh, history, man. Go back and listen to that. You might catch some jewels. The Black Klansman episode. You know, these are just things that are related to Spike. So I encourage you to go back and listen. Um, And we'll just wrap it up here, guys. Remember, we call ourselves kind of movie critics because we kind of are. We're kind of not. 
just a bunch of people who like to watch movies. This has been an On Ear Network production.